Father, we acknowledge that you are God and uh, you, have given you, you have given your word, the Bible, for us to learn about you and how we should live. Please use me to speak your word truthfully and for us all to listen to the teaching of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The passage before us is um, something that Paul talks about, and it's talking about pleasing God through the way we live, pleasing God through gospel living. I want to ask you some questions. Now, they are rhetorical, so I won't ask you to answer them out. I don't want to embarrass you. But are you living in response to the gospel? Do you please God in the way that you're leading your life? And if so, how are you doing that? In fact, does God want you to please him? I mean, the short answer to these questions, of course, is that, yes, God does want us to please him. But how we do this, and what does a life pleasing to God look like? Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, gives us some examples. In fact, he gives us three ethical responses on how we are to live for God in order to please him. So we're going to examine each of these examples shortly and hopefully learn some new insights or at least reflect on our own lives so that we can, in fact, please God more abundantly. But first, the elephant in the room. The thing that I'm sure stands out for most of you as we read this passage this, this morning and you heard that I was going to preach on it is gee, I wonder how Dennis is going to deal with this sexual immorality thing. Well, you're just going to have to wait a little bit. The first question that we need to ask is, why should we want to please God in the first place? If you read in the first verse of this chapter, Paul states quite clearly that while he was in Thessalonica, and he was only there for three short weeks, so he didn't really have a great time to really teach the new Christians that, the, uh, uh, that were there. And remember, these people had been living in a culture very different to the Christian culture that, or the gospel culture that, that um, Paul was teaching. And so they had come from a culture that was very foreign, and we'll talk more about that shortly. And he instructed the Thessalonians how to live and how to live in order to please God. Paul goes on in that verse, and he, he urges them, in fact, he exhorts them in the name of Jesus to do so more and more. Paul makes sure that they know where his teaching comes from. It's not him just saying this, but that it comes with the authority of Jesus Christ. And you can see that in verse 2. For you know what instructions we give you, we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. This response is not just some religious or legalistic response that is concerned with outward show, like going to church every week, making sure others know how much we do uh, within the church. I'm not suggesting that we, don't, we shouldn't do these things, like coming to church and helping out in, in, in church ministry, but it's the motive that is the important thing as to why we do these things. We should be doing these things to please God. So the question again is, why should we want to please God? What is it that gives us that desire to please God? Think back to when you first became a Christian. 
For me, it was quite some time ago. When you realize that you are sinful, living contrary to God's will, and knowing that one day you will have to face God's judgment, knowing that you will not pass muster, coming to the realization that God loved you, and he wanted to have that personal, intimate relationship with you. To have this, you accepted God's free gift of eternal life by recognizing that you are sinful, asking for his forgiveness which he gave to you because of what his son Jesus Christ had done on the cross, and paying the price for your sin, and in doing so, giving you eternal life. In response to that demonstration of his amazing love of our Creator God and of our acceptance of, uh, of Jesus as, your Lord, as our Lord and Savior, God set in motion a desire, and that desire is to please God in the way that you live your life. Therefore, the desire to please God comes from our response to the gospel. One of Paul's reasons for writing this letter in the very first place was to remind the Thessalonians of his teaching that he gave to them when he was there, and that the primary aspect of living the Christian life was all about seeking to please God. Remember, as I said before, this was a new church plant. Paul had only spent three weeks there with them. So he didn't want them to drift or stagnate in the Christian life, but he wanted them to be passionately committed to their continued growth and development. Paul reminds them of the authority of his teaching. His teaching comes from God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we read that in the first chapter in verses 5 and 6. God's Word and the Holy Spirit are inseparable if you read those verses. Paul also reminds them not to reject his teaching because if they do, this would involve rejecting God. And you can read that in verse 8 that we read this, uh, this morning. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So if pleasing God is so important then, how can I please him? Paul gives us three examples in this short passage. They are exercising self-control through sexual desires, loving others, and through being prepared to work. Paul is concerned for these Christians so much that he wants to give as much practical advice to them so that they can see the, the key issue and that is how to live your life in order to please God. In other words, to become more holy. In verse 3, Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And sanctification is that process of us becoming more holy. Paul emphasizes the importance of self-control. In verse 4, each of you should learn to control his own body especially in the matters of sex. This was in contrast, huge contrast, to the surrounding Gentile culture at that time. If any of you uh, have studied history, especially ancient uh, Greek and ancient Roman history, you will know what that society is like. 
The lifestyle in that first century in Thessalonica was a very liberal sexual and moral lifestyle featuring very, very little self-control. In fact, it's very much like today's Australian society where faithfulness in marriage is quaint. Having sex before marriage, living together before marriage is standard and being virginal is unusual and a little absurd. Having sex, several sexual partners of either sex, even at the same time, is fine. Our society says it's all right. Let's experiment. There's no harm in it. Or is there? What an insidious lie perpetrated by Satan. The result of this lack of self-control is so obvious for us to see. We see it today the whole time. We see it in the media, the results of sexual immorality. It produces so much hurt, and that hurt is devastating. Paul indicates the result of lack of self-control, and you can read that in verses 6 and 7. No one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. When we wrong each other and take advantage of the other person because of our lack of sexual control, the result is that God will punish us for those actions. And there's a reason for that that I'll come to shortly. What happens when we have sex, sex outside marriage, either prior to or during marriage? In the first instance, we take advantage of the other person for our own sexual gratification. Whether the other person really wants to have sex or not, if we don't marry them, then we have taken away a gift that should have been someone else's. In the instance of lack of self-control in marriage, where one spouse is unfaithful, the results can be devastating. Not just to one spouse, but to their children and to other family members and friends. And again, we see that in our own society. We see it so much so that it becomes common. God has blessed us with imagination. We use it all the time with some wonderful re uh, uh, results. Think of science and where we got to with science. Think of medicine and the breakthroughs that we've had with medicine through using our, our Im imagination. Look at the arts. But it can also be so destructive. Sexual immorality is born through our imagination. So we need to be aware of this and control the seeds of our own imagination. God wants us to live counterculturally uh, to this world. Why? Well, one of the reasons is so that we don't hurt others or take advantage of others. Exercising self -control, sexual self-control is the way that God wants us to live. And you can read that in verses 3 to 5. Put in another way, God wants us to protect us from ourselves and the harm we can cause through such lack of self-control. And in doing so, we please and honor God. Paul's desire is that the Thessalonians should please God more and more. And we can read that in verse 10. 
However, do we just do this out of religious obedience? Would it make a difference to our Christian lives if we viewed each opportunity given to us to bring pleasure to God? Is this something we encourage each other to do here in Robertson? Our relationship with Christ should be one of joy, not a burden. Seeing things in this way should lighten our load. Pleasing God is tightly linked to our response to the word of God. If someone told us clearly that they did not want milk and sugar in their coffee, ignoring their request is unlikely to please them. So it is with our Lord Jesus. He has revealed the way in which we can please him through the Bible. We are deluded, we fool ourselves, if for whatever reason we feel that we can ignore God's word and enjoy his pleasure at the same time. As an aside, and we were talking about this at our small groups uh, on Tuesday, I am sure that you have come across people who call themselves Christians but they reject Paul's teaching, thinking that they can still be loyal to Christ. Paul is very conscious that he is writing by the authority of Jesus Christ. So in rejecting Paul's teaching, we are rejecting God's word. And you can read that in in chapter 1, verse 5, and also chapter 2, verse 4. Remember that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we can read that in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In our attempts to display self-control, we are not alone. We have an assistant, and that is the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be pure and to live holy lives. If we reject this way of life, we in fact are rejecting God. Also, those of us who at times find temptations strong and find exercising self-control difficult, and what man hasn't come to that, remember 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So rely on God and rely on his power to help you. For God did not call us to be impure, in verse 7, but to live a holy life. So exercising self-control in sexual matters is pleasing God through gospel living. As Australians, we live in a very prosperous, obscenely prosperous, consumer culture with rampant individualism. We are, in fact, a very selfish culture, and greed uh, predominates. You just have to look at the four big banks. I mean, how many billion dollars did the NAB make uh, this um, financial quarter? I think it was nine billion dollars. We are constantly being asked and encouraged to ask ourselves, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? I mean, I hear this at work all the time. We hear it in the media. We are bombarded by it um, when we turn on the, on the television. It's all about me. Me, me, me. And the choices that I make for my lifestyle. 
we are constantly being bombarded to be selfish. Yet, if this is the culture we live in, then it is easy to see how this sort of thinking can infiltrate the church. Once this happens, then getting is more important than giving. Why are you here? Are you here to hear a great sermon? Are you here for people to wait on you hand and foot? Is that what God wants you? So why are you here? Paul, after his instructions on self-control and sexual immorality, goes on to discuss love for one another. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers in Macedonia. Yet we urge you to do so more and more. And that's in verses 9 and 10. So why does Paul have to say that here? What was happening in Thessalonica was that a group of Christians had got together and a small church had started. But there was a small element in that church that was being quite disruptive. Paul needs to correct that small group within the church family of Thessalonica that were and had the potential to hinder the growth of the gospel. But he doesn't want to uh, discourage the majority of Christians there. So he begins by reinforcing the fact that on the whole, the church there does have a wonderful reputation for loving one another, both in the immediate Christian community and in the wider uh, fellowship of God's people in the surrounding district of Macedonia. They had followed Paul's initial teaching, which had been received not as a word of man, but as the word of God. And you can read that in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 13. And there was plenty of evidence of the fruit of, the, of God's spirit. And you can read that in chapter 1, verse 3, and chapter 3, verses 6 and 12. However, Paul's great desire is that the church should overflow even more with love for one another and for everyone else. And we'll read that in, in um, chapter 3, verse 12. He therefore encourages them, and he urges them to demonstrate even greater love. Just as God's love had overflowed to them, the response is that they should love and their love should overflow. He urges this overflowing, so love, so this overflowing of love so that the church family will, will benefit. Paul doesn't regard love for one another as an achievement that has been, that has been attained once for all, but as a fountain that continually overflows. So the actions that spring from this show of love contributes to the, sh the church and its mission rather than hindering it. He wants their daily life not to, be, not to be a burden on the church, family, and he wants it to enhance the reputation of the church and the gospel in the world. And you can read that in verse 12. He wants the church to mature and to grow and for the gospel to make further progress. Is this happening here in, in Robertson? As a result of these concerns, his advice is directed to all of us, but no doubt aimed in particular to a certain group within the church family at Thessalonica. Paul wants the Christians there to make it their ambition to get on with their affairs in a way that doesn't disrupt other, li other people's lives by preventing them from working or distracting them. 
By working, they are able to support themselves and their families without being a burden on other members of the church family and also being a good example to the outside community. From what we learn from this passage and what has gone on before, we need to ask ourselves some questions. What effect does my behavior have on the health of my church family here in Robertson? What effect does my behavior here in Robertson have on the reputation of the church and the gospel to those outside the Christian community here? As God's people, we need to examine our behavior. And you need to examine it critically. Is our behavior pleasing to God? Are you living your life pleasing God? Are we gospel living? Do we have that burning desire to please God in the way that we live? And if you don't, why? Why don't you have that burning desire? Is there something that's blocking it? Paul has given us examples on how we should live. How we live has an impact on the gospel. So live the life of gospel living. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love. For Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, thank you for your Holy Spirit who encourages us and gives us the ability to live a life that pleases you. Help us examine the way we live. Give us the fortitude to exercise greater self-control so that our lives are a witness to others, showing them your love and the gospel. May people come to know you and accept you as their savior. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.